Everybody is see the about not many things but that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the next presentation oh. is key. Each, each of us have something that we're OCD about. Is he involved in involved in this? Yep. No, oh, this, yeah. oh, but yeah. this is good. This yeah. is all branding no, stuff, no, no. right? His his so his good. eye, his eye for this stuff. There's nobody who comes close to how good Kyle is. Yeah, it's good. But it takes so freaking long. <laughs> I'm just glad cuz he did it on his own time. Yeah. I didn't have to be here. All right. Hey everybody, you're listening to the High Sessions Hawaii podcast where we talk about everything local and beyond. I'm your host, John Yamasato, and joining me today is Mr. Kashima Bukuro. How's it? And Devin Nakoba. Howdy. Before we begin, let me remind our listeners of all the ways they can stay in touch with the show. There is Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at High Sessions. Of course, you can go to SoundCloud, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts to download the podcast. You can email us at highsessions at yahoo.com. We had an email from uh, a friend, Randall. Oh. And he's asking for Hawaiian music... Um, like recommendations so he's getting into into all this kind of stuff oh, they said cool. he has like some of the Kyle creator boys stuff he has um so ah man I, I i'm really bad like i start these conversations does he have the pure heart stuff he does not have pure okay heart you need stuff. to get oh, the pure heart well, stuff yeah <laughs> i think oh you know he said he may have the best of or something oh, yeah? oh, that's, that's good that's online. good yeah. so i'm gonna be emailing him back shortly mm-hmm. Uh, if you'd like to help the show get more music on the channel please go to patreon.com and donate p-a-t-r-e-o-n there you will be able to get more involved with the show and help determine who and what is filmed want to thank our four new patrons wow taking a break helped yeah taking a break i think people want to support us because uh they like it when we're not around (laughs) 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 but thank you to xavier michelle luke from honolulu and Mikaela. Oh, who are all new on. patrons? Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And we have we are now exceeding ninety patrons. Whoa! Right. For our, Shall we for shoot our for a hundred now? Yes. So by the end, so of, by the end of yeah, please none of you that are there drop oh, off because then we won't be at <laughs> <90 laughs> here. Yeah. Thank you to Koopa Koopa Landscaping, Landscape Architects. You can call Kevin Yokomura 808-722-8685 for a free estimate on any landscaping needs that you may need, or you can go to koopakoopalandscaping.com. And of course, Fort Ruger Market, our lunch sponsor. Thank you to Fort Ruger Market. I had the H today, which is the chicken long rice bowl. Mm-hmm. So it's just chicken long rice in a bowl. So are you out of your alphabet? You bowl? started with A, you came to H. <laughs> yeah, is there so an I, I, th- I think there is an I. So next week will be my last week. Okay. Yeah. You can find Devin on 94.7 Kumbu FM. Go to highlifeclothing.com to find uh, Kyle's designs and stuff like that. Uh, well, I'd like to thank everybody and sorry for the week break, but it was spring break. Devin was on vacation, so we decided to take everyone take a week off, which was kind of nice, nice just to relax and not do a podcast for one week. But it's good to be back, and we have our special guest. Wait, wait. Oh. Don't forget to rate us, please, on iTunes, because it helps the pod get to other people besides the 90 of you who are watching every That's right. time. That's right. And, you know, some of the some of the people who signed up, I write to them and I say, hey, you know, do you want your shirt? They're like, hey, we're just here to support. Oh, Don't nice. spend money on me. That's cool. Although, you know. Send them a shirt anyway. Oh, and people have taken pictures with the shirt. So thank you for doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, you know what? I didn't ask how you say your last name, but uh, our special guest is Sean Yakovo. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Hey, so Sean, got it. Thanks. Sean's here. He's a he's an instrumental instrument collector and historian. I would say that's what I would call him. He also runs a website called Ukulele Friends. So, Sean, we're very happy to have you on our podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, man, we're going to get talking. Uh, we're going to talk about some really cool stuff in regard to instruments. And this is a topic that I never really thought about too much um, in the past. But when I came to visit Sean, Sean invited me to come on his show. So he has a YouTube channel, which we'll put in the links, um, to play some of these things. And I just thought... It, it changed my perspective because uh, personally, mm-hmm. I'm not a big instrument guy. No, you're not. Kyle knows this. He just I, plays them. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, like, I'm not picky about my instruments. I will play anything. I buy very mid-rangey guitars. Like, I don't, I don't buy the ten thousand dollar guitars and stuff. I feel like it's, I don't know. I have the self-esteem thing. Like, they're too good for me or something. So I play my twelve hundred dollar guitar that I bought, you know, years ago. I put them through luggage. I don't even gate check them or anything. <coughs> but when it comes to these type of historical instruments, that really piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. So before we get into that, let, let's talk about your beginnings. Like, where are you from? You're from 
Honolulu. I'm from Honolulu, yeah. Kaimki area, actually, too. So. Oh, yeah. nice. Bulldog graduate. Bulldog yeah. graduate. Went to, yeah, went to UH Manoa, and then I went to a couple universities in Japan. And that's kind of where I found my love of ukulele, actually. I was going to say, Japan. <laughs> away from Hawaii. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. So what you... Mm. Wait, you went to UH and then transferred to... Um, I went to three different universities in Japan. And, uh, and uh, I went on um, different programs, I guess. Um, and uh, I was just fortunate to be able to, to be there and experience life outside of Hawaii. Uh, Were you there teaching English or something? No, I was actually just a student. Uh, yeah, and I went to three different schools. I mean, every t- each time I went, I came back and I said, I got to apply again. So I went on s- three s- different scholarships. Oh, my wow. God. Yeah. That's cool. And so I just studied um, in Okinawa uh, first. And then I studied also in um, Kansai area, Osaka yeah. at Kansai University. And then also the third time was in Kochi, which is a Kochi University. Oh, Kochi University. Yeah. yeah. So Sorry, where do you find the, the yeah. ukulele there that piqued your interest? Oh, so, you know, what's funny is, is that um, when, you're, when you're in another country in particular, people want to know a little more about you which is cool uh, and it's so people would ask um, about Hawaii in particular obviously in being in Hawaii nobody asks you what Hawaii is like right when you leave Hawaii everybody wants to know and so you know it'd be it was a point of reflection and just said hey you know yeah kind of who am I and you know what what my point of connection and that sense of identity and so uh, you know took up the ukulele at that time bought a cheap one in Japan and I used to carry that around with my books and everything else and and just noodle with the instrument in between classes and uh, with friends and so forth. But that was my connection. But I got really interested in the history uh, because it was, you know, a point of reflection to say, hey, wh- why, why, you know, why is the ukulele associated with Hawaii and what's the origins of yeah. it? And so that's where all of that kind of interest came from. Was it already popular in Japan? The ukulele was definitely already popular in Japan. I mean, you know, especially after World War II in particular. I mean, prior to that as well, but with all the, uh, all the servicemen that were in, uh, uh, in, in Japan during that time, there was a resurgence. The servicemen had a lot of money to spend as well, and so many of them purchased these instruments, and many of them were Martins. And I think, and the cool thing is, is the Martins that were outside of the U.S., or at least being sold outside of the U.S., bear different types of markings on them. So you can identify them if it was... Uh, an instrument that was sold outside of the U.S. targeting, you know, maybe GIs or somebody else, oh, as wow. opposed to the one sold in the U.S. Yeah, okay. some different markings. Oh, I actually brought mine today, so you yeah. can take a look I'd at it. Yeah, to take a look at it. Figure out, you know, but we can we can talk about that later. Okay, okay, we this can do that. from Kmart, Kyle. So, so you, you're in Japan, you're in school there, but then and that's where you fall in love with the instrument. Then you come back to Hawaii. Came back to Hawaii and I basically I used to work at a couple of uh, Japanese tour companies, uh, and, and then so you can um, speak. Speak, read, write. I mean, oh, it's all wow. required. And oh, are you yeah. Japanese? I'm not. It's not. Yeah. So the three of us are. Ashamed. I know. <laughs> yes, I, I know. know. No, you no. should be ashamed. Shame. So shame. Hey, I can speak a little bit more than you guys, but that's not saying very. I don't much. think you know more than <laughs> me. Yeah. <laughs> you know Okinawan. That's different. I don't know Okinawan. I don't even know what Okinawan Japanese would be. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, basically, um, you know, even my job, I work full time at the University of Hawaii, actually Kapilani Community College at the International Students Office. So I use my language every day. Oh, oh yeah. perfect. Wow. wow. And, uh, and then this whole passion with the ukuleles is something that um, started off small uh, and, and had a couple of different uh, intentions. You know, one was Hawaii cost of living is so expensive here. So it'd be nice to be able to have a little bit uh, to tuck away for, you know, for more for kids college fund and pay extra to the mortgage and those things. That's where the business side comes from. But mm-hmm. I had this huge passion in me for education mm-hmm. uh, and, um, and specifically in ukuleles. And so that's kind of, kind of how all of this kind of came to be for, for me. Okay. Yeah. What, is, wait, what is the business model for this? Cause it seems like your passion for it just means you collect these really, really old and expensive yeah, <laughs> ukuleles. Yeah, so I'm like, yeah. but did, do you sell these as well? Well, I um, there, are, I have new handcrafted custom ukuleles, yeah. uh, and then I have these historical ones. And I'm much more focused. My my greatest passion is the pre 1900s period. Oh, okay, so ukulele okay. was kind of introduced after these three people came over in 1879. But anyway, it's a short window on that front end of these oh. pre 1900s instruments. So I generally sell the the, the custom the instruments, custom uh, mm. and then I uh, and I fund the educational elements of what I'm trying to do wow. with these, including purchasing them yeah. and, and including yeah. restoring them. I believe in that the spirit of the person who built this was not that it be collected, but it be played. Mm. And so I spend a ton 
having them restored, and then we, you know, we record them and mm -hmm. have John and others come out to, to play on the instruments, yeah. That's cool. Can we take a quick break, yeah. Dev? Can you check the camera and see if it's still rolling? I, I didn't press play, you know, on it. No, I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, good. But I, I, I don't mind <laughs> if Devin checks it one more time. Yeah, just to see <laughs> the other part of the OCD. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah, this is my, yeah, OCD coming in to play. <laughs> this is the other one. Yep. Okay, right. good. Okay, all right. You're good. So these are not for sale. Yeah. These almost all of the yeah. vintage instruments, almost all of them are not for sale. Yeah. When Kyle says these, for the people who are listening on audio, he's pointing to three ukuleles that are in front of you. <laughs> so the people listening on audio only are going to have a little bit of a issue with this podcast because it is a little visual. We have three ukuleles sitting in front of us that are pre-1900s ukuleles. Beautiful instrument. And you can and you can pick them up and play them. That's the part I think that That's people don't understand. Normally when you're looking at these things in a you know, if you go to some place and you pick up a Stradivarius, you're not actually picking it up. They bring it in, they have like the gloves and stuff, they put it down, you go, Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and then they take but it away. Again, not anybody can play this. Like somebody off the street can go, Hey, I like China. Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. You invite people exactly. over that, that are musicians or you you know, friends and that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. And so on 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 one hand, uh, you know, I, I have to be cautious about who I can take these instruments out and, and I usually uh, give them a little bit of a background. But the beautiful thing that I see is with musicians, uh, there's a there's a beautiful connection between the 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 musician, obviously, and the instrument, mm. um, and and with a historical instrument like this, um, it almost touches to the core, the soul of who they are, and so it's really powerful to 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 see that interaction. Um, it, it's almost um, you know, in Japanese, right? It's almost like an aisatsu, right? The first time you're meeting, yeah, uh, mm. with this instrument, and so and you uh, capture this on film too. I try to. I so try. How to, can yeah. people see that? Um, I have a YouTube page on you know under ukulele friend um, okay. there. And I also have a, a web page where, you know, people can see many of these things. But I usually just post everything on the YouTube site mostly. Okay. But, um, but with these instruments, yeah, these are not for sale. And I have a whole bunch of others. I probably have, I want to say it's probably the, the largest single collection of Hawaii Mirukoleles. Wow. At least the, the pre-1900 ones. And I have, wow. I'm kind of the young kid in the collector's community. Yeah. So I was grandfathered in from these old timer collectors, uh, which are still my mentors to this day. They've taught me so much about the instruments and, and from some of them or their families, I've actually been able to acquire some some of these. Did you ever write a yeah. book or do any type of documentary? No, no, but there are a few people that that are, uh, you know, want me to do that. So it's sure, kind of right? something in the works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I use these for not only general education, like somebody can come to the web page and, and know, hey, what do these instruments sound like? But, uh, but my mission really is, um, is education on different levels. So for example, um, musicians, as we were talking about, to be able to see these instruments, they're, pre they're pretty rare. So even in Bishop Museum, they have a few, they're generally not out, they're tucked away. Um, but uh, you, typically you cannot play those instruments. Yeah. And so I wanted to afford certain musicians the opportunity to play. Uh, and then I also wanted to impact the building of ukuleles in the community. So there are a bunch of luthiers, not only in Hawaii, um, but also throughout the world. We have, you know, friends that build ukuleles all over the place. But when we do these recordings, they're able to actually hear the sound of the instrument, get an idea of what the historical instruments sound like so that, that they can build towards that sound if they desire. Mm -hmm. And then the builders that are here can actually schedule an appointment, come in, and, and, and we will scope it, caliper the thicknesses, understand the bracing patterns, and that also wow. um, educates the building side mm -hmm. uh, and the direction ukuleles are headed now. I have uh, a question about the sound. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are made by hand. Yes. These are made with archaic instruments, right. you know, and tools and stuff yeah. like that. When, when somebody strums these, is there a unique sound that can't compare to a modern day ukulele and is it better sounding? Wow. What is the difference in yeah. tone? That is that's a great question. You know, when I first started recording these, they were in a mixture of new custom instruments as well because I was recording a bunch of them. Imo Garza was one of the first musicians that came out wow. recording with Imo. He's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's okay. I gave him <laughs> instruments that I know he never seen in yeah. his life, like the parent instruments to the ukulele that you know, I have some of those. What is and the parent instrument of ukulele? So there, there are two, and one looks like the size of the soprano ukulele, okay. but it's tuned uh, DGBD. And then there's a there's a larger instrument 
It's almost the size of a tenor ukulele, about 27 inches long or so. It has five strings, and that's where the GCEA tuning comes from, the ukulele. Okay. Plus you have a, a D as the fifth string. The top string is a D, so D, GCEA. But I knew Imua never touched and played that. And that instrument is, you know, we have is probably about mid-1800s. And I, I knew the tuning. I gave it to him, and I said... Imua, can can you can we record this? And he's like, is that top string a D? He already knew. He already oh, knew. No. Wow. Just based off of intuition of, of playing instruments. And sure enough, he played it and we just recorded it. And so wow. it's yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's is he pretty, playing like funky chords to make it work, or was it it's kind of natural? You know, every musician's a little different. Like uh, when Herb Jr. came out and played that instrument, he said, you know, it's really cool because he he used that string in a little different way. Uh, but he said, give me one week with this instrument. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that just shows the level of, you know, obviously, dedication and interest, yeah. right? Yeah. But once again, it was an opportunity for the, the instrument to kind of speak to the heart of the musician, cause them to reflect. I've had musicians come in and say, wow, these guys never built these instruments. Like, what would I be doing now, <laughs> right, if the ukulele didn't exist for but some the, the two point. parent instruments. Yeah. Where are they now? Did they just disappear and became an ukulele took oh. over? Or are they existing somewhere else in the world that people still play? Yeah, the two parent instruments are from Madeira in Portugal. It's a okay. small island that's actually closer to Morocco than it is to mainland Portugal. Um, and, um, and the instruments are still there. Uh, they still handcraft the instruments. The two of the instruments are called uh, um, the machete, which is the smaller one. And the larger one is called the rajao, the five string. They still play them to this day. Um, and, uh, you know, but at the same time, uh, the three people that built these instruments came over to Hawaii in 1879 to, as on contract to work in the plantation fields. Mm -hmm. And so they worked in those fields for a few years, uh, came back to the Chinatown area and basically um, opened up a shop, each of them. A couple of them shared shops uh, through um, a different time periods, uh, you know, in the late 1800s as well. But um, the ukulele is, is, is pretty neat because... My opinion is that ukulele is not purely Hawaiian instrument. I don't think it's a Portuguese instrument. I, I, I find a sense of identity myself. I, my mom's from Kauai. She's Filipino. My dad is Italian from New Jersey, and they met down here. <laughs> I'm a blend of those cultures. In Hawaii, so many of our friends have so many culture, you know, ethnicities, right? To me, the, uk the ukulele is a perfect representation of that because it's neither ho purely Hawaiian, nor is it purely Portuguese. It's a blend of all of those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, and of course, the early Hawaiians took interest in the playing and so forth and, popu and the, became popular as a result of that. But if it weren't for the early builders that were modeling instruments after the parent instruments, uh, you know, we would never have this instrument to begin with either. So, well, what yeah. caused the the evolution of it into this format because if you started with this smaller thing mm -hmm. you'd think when they went to make them they would just make the same thing or make the bigger one with the five strings whereas yeah. it becomes this yeah yeah well I, you know a lot of it is speculation we have mm -hmm. some uh some information in publication and so forth uh um that 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 gives that sheds some light on that um I personally think that there are a number of factors that were contributing to to development of the ukulele, um, which also include um, political uh, factors. Mm. So, for example, King uh, Kalakaua, as you know, was very interested in um, the arts and cultures and 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 bringing those things forward. Um, there was also the annex, you know, the annexation of Hawaii that was going on during that time period. So there is this push and pull that's happening. There's also cultural influences, like the use of koa wood, um, really for ali'i and monarchs. Uh, and and, um, and also, um, you know, there's a lot of s similarities with the, the ukulele uh, with regards to um, chanting and oral stories and communication of these stories and so forth right so all of that ties back in and the ukulele becomes a vessel to communicate that um, you know but the changing is kind of interesting i think that it's there's cultural there's political but there's also business influence mm. so as a business owner you would look at right the best way to efficiently build your instrument or build your product you would look for ways to reduce time reduce cost reduce materials mm -hmm. 
And I think that's one of the things that we see. So, so out of necessity, it became necessity. what it is. Hmm. Well, and you also, if you think about the people that could play or interested in the ukulele, they are not these people that could play all the way up the fingerboard like Jake and, yeah. and uh, you know, and Herb and all of these, you know, amazing musicians we see now. They were probably just playing in the first few positions, mm-hmm. higher, closer to the headstock. So mm. why, why have a, fr- a fingerboard all the way to the sound hole if in the very beginning... Nobody's really playing in that area and anyway. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was more to accompany your voice back in the day than becoming an instrument that could stand alone and I think play. that I think that there are there are examples of both. But you're right. There's something that is really mm. enticing about the ukulele compared to, for example, the steel string guitar, right? Mm. Where steel strings are a much harsher sound. The ukulele, not only the body size, but during that time period, there's no ukulele strings. If you think about it, right? Yeah. They have to go down, and there were violin strings that were available in Hawaii and banjo strings, and they basically use a combination of those strings to create the first strings, but they were gut strings. And so with the gut strings, sheep gut, basically, right, they used uh, on these instruments, it's much warmer. To me, the ukulele, one of the things so attractive about it is that it has a sound that almost emulates a human voice, and it's very intimate mm. you know and i feel like when people play that instrument that it, it naturally draws you in uh, because of that um huh. yeah just my opinions though oh, <laughs> yeah that's cool yeah. you know more than us so yeah no 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 did they use fishing line too i think that came about much later uh i mean certain traditions obviously the tahitian ukulele utilizes fishing line as it is but nowadays we in ukuleles we fundamentally have you know three compositions you have nylon strings or four if you count gut strings but nylon strings gut strings you have fluorocarbon which is your fishing line and then you have um, nile gut which is a synthetic material Um, and 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 now you can use those strings to accent depending on your style of play depending on your attack, the music, the genre of music that you play, the strings become something that can accent that style of play that mm. you do now. As opposed to before, it was just purely functional, right? Yeah. You just need a, a string <laughs> to play. Yeah. But, um, but I think that it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty remarkable and very versatile instrument. But when you look at these... You'll notice that this yeah, one closest to me. Let's talk about these out. specifically. So let's Sorry, go. We're gonna um, we're, we're, we'll try to describe it if you're somebody who's listening on the on the podcast because it may seem like wait what where, yeah, yeah, where yeah. are they moving to? What are they the, they about? should watch the YouTube video. I know. Yeah. 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 It'll, be, it'll be easier. <laughs> to I think tell. this one will, you gotta watch the YouTube video yeah. to appreciate yeah. what you're looking. So go over at to YouTube soon. and uh, no, but <laughs> one of the parts about it that's cool for me is I'm, I'm looking really closely at this and. You know, the, the tuning pegs? Yeah. There's no metal in this no. at all. It's somebody... It's all wood. Yeah, it's all wood. And they figured out a way to keep it and make it stay. Mm-hmm. That's the part that I don't get. Because if you take wood and you just sort of stick it in a hole, you start turning <laughs> it, it'll just keep going. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't... Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't stop. So I don't understand <laughs> physically how this is done. <laughs> I would assume it's like that Japanese um, instruments, the Sami and stuff, they used it pressure right you push right. in and you turn and you exactly push in, and then and the, it just kind of locks it in there that's hmm. exactly it and then the tuners are tapered so you notice that yeah the further away from the headstock they're a little wider yeah so yeah. as they're pushed in yeah. that friction holds it in place you pull out tune and mm-hmm. push in. so, so what, what, yeah. what they're talking about if you can't see so there's tuning pegs on an ukulele and typically you have a screw mm-hmm. with a either a plastic or a metal peg that then attaches to the string and you wind it yes. and as you wind it, mm-hmm. it it causes tension on the string to make it the what is that? The pitch or whatever. Mm-hmm. These are all just wood. So it's just like a wooden peg just going th- straight through the headstock. And that is keeping the ukulele in tune. Yeah. That's because, yeah, the they, they didn't have tune. the metal yeah. screws. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, I wonder if they, you know, did you play a song and then with these older ones, did you have to play a song and then retune every time? Or would it hold the I would tune? imagine it's there's quite a bit of retuning. Would it hold yeah, the tune for a while? Yeah, you, you would need to retune. Plus the gut strings, yeah. uh, the, the, you know, they're a little more finicky. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, but back in the day, not everybody was strumming like Jake either. To yeah. Well, well, Sean, th- let's go. So the one that is closest to you. Mm-hmm. Well, w- well, actually, which one is the oldest out of these three? The one closest to me is the oldest one here. Okay. And this one is actually um, deemed, or it's regarded as the oldest known ukulele in existence. Nobody knows who made the first ukulele, mm-hmm. uh, but. Um, Uh, From the materials that's used on this, for example, the body of the instrument is like a Brazilian rosewood. The top appears to be a fir 
or a spruce, which was um, available in Hawaii during that time period. Both of these woods were brought in. Um, and, the, and you said this is from what year? So this this one is somewhere between 1879 and maybe 1884. It's more likely that it's closer to the 1884 time period okay. because the very beginning. So this first instrument is made by Jose do Espirito Santo. And uh, that middle instrument there is made from Augusto Diaz. And the far end one is made from Manuel Nunes. These three people came over with 420 other people on the Ravenscraig. It was a British ship ported in Madeira four and a half months by boat to Oahu. Wow. In Honolulu Harbor. Four and, and a they, half months so this, this, this ukulele traveled, man. Well, well, this well, ukulele might here. Here. was built here. Was built here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, but that ship that but those came guys over, over. <laughs> <laughs> they came four and a half months by wow. boat, uh, which, which was part of uh, the compensation for their package to, to work. That was part of the, the, the compensation. It was the boat ride. But when they got here, they worked in the plantation fields for a few years. So... And they came and, uh, you know, August 23rd was when the boat came. So it's highly unlikely that this instrument was made in 18, uh, 1879. It was likely made somewhere between there. But it has a name because of the, um, this particular instrument was on display at the Honolulu Academy of Arts in uh, 1941, about six months before the bombing of Port Harbor as being the first ukulele. So all of the somebody, stickers that are on phone there. phone vibrating. Yeah. Sorry. Nope. Okay. All the stickers that are on there and so forth uh, basically are the same Honolulu Academy of Arts stickers and, and this mm. little tag. So but, but um, yeah, it's the oldest one. It is possible then the first ukulele ever built was on Oahu? Oh, no, no. The, the first ukulele ever built, yes, must be on Oahu actually. Because prior to that, um, the parent instruments are not tuned the same way. They might possess similar characteristics. But that question is a great question because it begs to ask an, a deeper question, which is, when has it become an ukulele? Because yeah. the Portuguese right. brought yeah. instruments yeah. over it was similar, right? Exactly. So, the, so this instrument, which is really cool, right? We, we, so my friend who collects all of the, the parent instruments, the Portuguese instruments, I have a friend that collects all of these, right? Yeah. And he's got instruments, uh, you know, really early machettes and all of these things but anyway he looks at this instrument he says hey sean that's really cool you have a machete made in hawaii oh. i said no mm. this is the first ukulele and and so i my position is that this is the point of transition okay. what makes this instrument unique is that the body and the top woods are similar to the parent instrument but the neck is koa so this mm. had to be made mm. here Oh, so in yeah. my opinion, oh, yeah. this yeah. is the point of transition where it's beginning to evolve or, yeah. uh, you know, become the ukulele. I guess there's some people yeah. that grew up around that machete instrument. They go, that's a hybrid machete. Yeah. But then it became its own instrument. Exactly. Here. Exactly. But, you know, the one thing that would answer that question is forever loss. And it's the tuning. Uh-huh. Because the tuning of that instrument, the machete, is DGBD. The tuning of the ukulele is not, right? So, But, of course, the original strings are gone. Yeah. Uh, the original tuning, we have no idea. And I would assume, so, because the tunings are different, the machete would, had different chord structure then, too. Mm-hmm. And they would play it. And uh, I, had, I was really you know, fortunate to be able to get over to Madeira a few years ago, actually before COVID, and to understand how these instruments are played. Uh, finger picking a lot more, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, are they played in uh, solo? Are they played in a group? Uh, and, uh, you know, got to see some of that firsthand uh, there. And also answered some other questions that I have. You know, like all the newer ukuleles, they have all kind of shell inlay, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but none of these instruments have shell inlay on them until much, much later. Probably more, cl- you know, closer to maybe 1915, 1920-ish, around that time period. Uh, and prior to that, very, very few examples uh, but it was something that always, you know, bothered me. And I don't have a definitive answer for it. But having visited Madeira, I understand a little more. And it's just simply that there's not a lot of access to shell in that area, even though it's a trade port. If you go to the beaches, like the beaches here, we have sand everywhere. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that comes from basically, you know, shells and reef and all of that stuff that's being ground up. Right. And yeah. so. Uh, but but in Madeira, it's all volcanic rock and big stones. And uh, so when you go down to the beach, there's only one beach that's a separate island that's much older that has sand. But aside from that, everything else is uh, is mostly oh, stone. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it's also it seems like some of it is also too because it's 
this was more of a common man instrument, I guess, right? So people, it was it was invented so that you would sit on your lanai and play with your family or whatever. Or so travel it need to with be, it, right? Yeah, you travel with it. So yeah. it didn't need to be fancy. It just needed to make sound, keep the sound, yep. and that's all you got. And then once the 40s and the 50s mm-hmm. happened and you had... Uh, you know, you had Hawaiians on TV or in movies playing music, and all of a sudden it became sure. a, right. Yeah. There was that. There was that. Oh wow! It's it's this exotic Elvis. instrument. So, it's now yeah, like Elvis and stuff. So then it had to be fancy, and then so just to put it in perspective, Kamaka was the first ukulele company in Hawaii to put together ukulele. It's the first and production. W- was the first Hawaiian? Um, well, actually, it wasn't the first Hawaiian ukulele. There were there were makers earlier than mm. than him. Oh. A couple, but okay. uh, but he has he learned um, Samuel Kamaka Senior learned from Manuel Nunes, so oh, the wow. instrument that's closest to you there is the one. Uh, yeah, so he 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 learned some things from Manuel Nunes, and actually he's the one that lived the longest too, because these two guys had passed away much er- earlier, mm-hmm. uh, and so but did he take yeah. it to a more production level, mass production level, and retail level? Well, actually, Manuel Nunes was a phenomenal businessman. Oh, okay, and so he he had established uh, you know business relations with Martin. There are Martin oh. guitars that bear his name on it, wow, for example. Wow. Uh, but uh, but you know, in addition to that, um, he would travel to the West Coast because there were certain retailers that were selling his ukuleles. Uh, and there was a lot of competition for selling uh, these instrument, instruments, especially after 1915. They had the Pan Pacific Exposition in San Francisco, the Hawaii boom, especially the ukulele. That's where it gets yeah. its, yeah. its um, notoriety and popularity, right? Uh, and so a lot of that um, manufacturing or create, creating these um, large, uh, you know, uh, manufacturers that are beginning to bring out these instruments is happening at, generally after that time period because the demand is so high. And that's wow. why on some of the ukuleles, at least ones made in Hawaii from a certain time period, you find this taboo mark, it's a, and it says made in Hawaii, or it says taboo on it. And that was a way of the local makers in Hawaii separating themselves out as quality instruments from <laughs> Hawaii, as opposed to you know some instruments that might have been made by manufacturer, large manufacturers on the mainland. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm really intrigued by the tuning aspect of it. Because, I mean, because I'm not a, I'm not like you guys. I don't actually know how to play guitar. Or, I mean, I played with. When you're in, when you go to school in Hawaii, you gotta take like one semester of ukulele. That's the only ukulele I learned. Yeah. But uh, uh, it's it's fascinating to hear you talk about the tunings of it because I don't. I mean, I don't understand that aspect of it. But is it, was it in order to fit to the music that was being performed, or is it because they said, well? This is the instrument we made, and this is how to get the most notes out of this instrument that we can. I mean, I, that's a great that question. That is a good question. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I, I think mean, it's. Was it just a mini guitar at one point, and they said we couldn't well, tune it like a guitar, so we'll just make four strings? And I mean, we know that the parent instruments had a specific tuning, yeah. uh, right? And one of those tunings actually is the GCEA tuning. Oh. Uh, but there's also discussion about the B flat tuning that might even predate that. So it's like um, it's B flat at, or is it B flat F D A? I think it mm-hmm. is. But anyway, that uh, tuning I think it also comes about uh, with not only necessity but um, what's available, right? Uh. Strings and so forth, diameter of strings and and uh, but f- at some point it took it. You know, it took a structure. It's mm-hmm. a GCEA. What I think is kind of neat about GCEA tuning, uh, as I've been deal- digging into this a little more, is I found out that I knew that the GCEA tuning came from one of the two parent instruments from Portugal. But what I didn't know was where did that Portuguese instrument get the GCEA tuning? Yeah. Um, and it and interestingly enough, it seems to go back to the first guitar, the Renaissance guitar in the 1500s, oh, wow. was, tu- was tuned GCEA. But it wasn't four strings. It was seven strings. And, and so you have a low G and a high G, right? So for all the people out there saying, no, the, the high G is the original tuning. <laughs> There's some, of course, that's not an ukulele. It's a Renaissance guitar. But I thought it was so cool that we found out that it, it further complicates the discussion, the low G, high G, because there, there is no right answer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mm. it is just- it's preference. It's preference and mm. what people like, but uh, it's kind of neat because that, that early guitar has the low G, high G, 
then the C is, uh, they're not octaves, they're parallel C. The E is the same, and the A string is a singular string. And, and, uh, and a lot of the um, instruments out of Europe, the bottom string tends to be a single string because mm. um, there's a French term for it, and I forgot what it's called. I'm probably going to butcher the word. Um, but it basically means singing string because that's the melody string that everybody mm. would be playing on which is kind of neat because when you look at how people play even ukulele today, um, oftentimes you see people, I mean, they're picking the whole thing, but the A string stands out sometimes too. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. As, so. the main, as the main string. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you were talking earlier about the fretboard mm -hmm. and how the newer one goes all the way down to the, to the hole. Yes. And then the other one just stopped. Yes. And that was a probably a... a business decision it's or probably or a business decision Wait, the, the, older, is, the older one went all the way through. yeah some of these don't oh, even have fretboards yeah. right it's just it's so just the body right so the the oldest one here parallels the construction of the parent instrument which includes mm. the fretboard oh, which includes the fretboard right. okay got it, got it and the fretboard going all the way to the sound hole it yeah. also has bridge pins i don't know if you noticed that but that particular instrument has bridge pins which is also consistent with the portuguese instrument right um, when you go to the middle instrument here, which is Augusto Diaz, now that instrument has no fingerboard. Well, actually, if you look closely, it has a thin cut. The fingerboard is kind of, it's really thin, but it's inlaid into the neck. And they just put the frets gently into that. But it's a spruce or a fir top. But now they're using koa wood on that center instrument as opposed to this imported woods. Why? It's available, right? Mm -hmm. And sourcing is much easier. Um, and and it's, it's, it's less costly than, you know, something like Brazilian rosewood. And that center instrument also no longer has the bridge pins. You have a simple bridge where you tie the string, just like those little soprano kamakas that we grew up playing, and you knot it and you... And you mm, uh, yeah, come you know, through kind the, of, the slot. Yeah. yeah, through the slot. And so, um, but uh, that, so this first instrument is probably made somewhere around 18, maybe 83. 1880-ish to 1883-4, somewhere around there. That center instrument is probably made around 1885-ish. And it has a soft wood top, which is consistent with um, a lot of like European guitar construction. They'll use spruces and these softer woods on the top. And then you get to around 1890-ish. And then you have what we see uh, as the um, ukulele all the way through, even through uh, Kamaka's years into the 20s and 30s, the same construction. Basically, all core wood, no fingerboard, frets inlaid into the neck, and slot, slotted bridges with no bridge pins, but they simplified it. So less materials again, less cost, less time, mm. um, and, uh, and, and then nobody's playing high up on the neck. So mm. um, Until... Yeah, <laughs> until... <laughs> or whatever. Jake and Troy. And, <laughs> So, so what is going on with ukulele now? Because I know, especially when I went to your museum or, or your studio, mm -hmm. there are a million different ukuleles oh gosh, and yeah. builders and all that kind of stuff. And so everybody's jumping on this bandwagon now and getting it. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I think there's a lot of builders that are coming over from the guitar community that are finding a lot of fun, just a passion to build mm -hmm. a different instrument. Mm -hmm. And it's and just because you build a good guitar doesn't mean you build a good, good ukulele too. That's it's true. not just downsizing things. I mean, you have to approach the instrument in a very different way. Um, but um, but there's a lot of exciting things happening, you know, with the with the ukulele nowadays. And ukulele is being played like all over the world. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I mean, there are, there are places that play that have ukulele festivals like the Czech Republic and mm -hmm. all kinds of places. And I thought to myself, are they playing Hawaiian music? Are they playing? You know what? What music are they that playing? That would be my yeah. question, right? What are they playing? Are yeah. they playing Surf by Carl Craven? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. No, and and, it, and you know, at each place is a little different. There's places that you know some people prefer some Hawaiian music and so forth, but there are other places they're just playing folk music or something yeah. that is not yeah. Hawaii related. They're at translating all. a lot of stuff to pop music because it's easier to sit there and figure out four. What well, does it strings. sound different than Hawaii music when they're playing it? Wow, they're, that's foreign. Uh, you know, that's a good, I mean, because another thing is there's all kinds of tunings too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. People are changing and using all kinds of alternate tunings now on the instrument too, which of course impacts how it sounds and what they play. And yeah. And, th and there are a lot of string makers that specifically cater 
to that type of music. High mm. tension strings, low tension, different ones. And so you can do a lot of different things with the instrument now. Can you tell us the story on how you attained this specific ukulele? Where, what's the roots of this? Where, how many pointing at the oldest ukulele? Through? You know, you know um, before you got at your, you know, was I, able to purchase it? I, I don't know the exact, I mean, I don't know exact trail of, of who it came through, but the person that I had acquired this from, he, he was a, a large collector of these instruments. Actually, he was a professor at one of the universities in Japan. Oh. Uh, and he had collected a number of ukuleles, but he was also collecting guitars and, and some other instruments. But this was one that he had acquired, and I think he had had it for quite some time. Um, and, um, uh, uh, unfortunately, he had passed away, and his uh, his wife was looking to dissolve the whole collection. And I'm certainly not in the position to be able to buy 600 instruments, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, and so um, I I wasn't at, in the position to be able to um, acquire that instrument on its own. Uh, and so I followed it a little bit and found out that the you know she tried to sell it to some other collectors but there were not many people that were interested in buying this massive collection how did so you hear of it though i found out uh from uh uh i actually bought this in japan this oh. particular instrument um and then um and i i found out because i was in contact with some other people there and i and i knew had they had acquired a, the, a large collection uh, and I basically looked through everything and picked all the ones that I wanted <laughs> to add. And that was so one of them. You wasn't one night scrolling through e eBay like, no, oh, no, what is this? Look at that. <laughs> no, no. You know, the crazy thing is like these instruments, they almost never show up even on the collector's market, let yeah. alone in, yeah. in public mm. forums. Uh, so, yeah, is there I'm even a picture of this in a book? There is one uh, that collector that had it before me. He put it in like this this book. Is that, that the little him. green book? No, it's um, a green book. I, don't I, have a, I had a little Japanese one. It looked like Japanese. Oh, that one. I, I think I'm in that book. Really? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah in the now. back. <laughs> but uh, but a number of my instruments are in one of those. Uh, but the one that he had, it was specifically his collection. It was all guitars, ukuleles, and so forth. And okay. there were a few pieces in there. Uh, it was called the Tony Ku, Tony Ku collection. Yeah, yeah, on that book, but but yeah, basically, you know, these uh, these instruments, um, they kind of represent. Uh, I mean, obviously, a lot for us in Hawaii um, uh, in terms of culture, in terms of music, uh, and my objective is to is to be able to record these yeah. uh, and just share that music and share that experience with musicians because I I feel that it also impacts who they are and maybe the direction that they're they're headed or they're interested in it causes them to reflect on their families mm. reflect on where they came yeah. from yeah. Uh, and that's the power i think uh, yeah that can, experience. We get, can we get sean to like strum one yeah oh Would i didn't tune cool? them up yeah. maybe oh. at the end i yeah, will we, tune oh, okay, them okay okay, okay. John, okay. Maybe john will play them okay yeah. what was yeah. your experience playing one of those no it was just like I, I think i mentioned it on the last podcast you know you sit there and you holding this instrument that's over a hundred years old right and you're thinking where where did this thing what has this thing seen <laughs> you know this is around before you know all of us were yeah. born and it's probably been all over the island all these parties all these events mm. and here i am sitting holding this thing you know and everyone who's touched it is long gone yeah and uh yeah it's really makes you think yeah, real hard. Uh, I had another question about. So I'm looking at the because I'm looking at the inlay on the on the very front of the these two the kind of newer ones. Mm -hmm. So uh, how does a maker do this? Because I noticed on the edge, right? It's like mm -hmm. dark wood, light wood, yes. dark wood. Is it a is it a thing of them? Because it's only on that edge. Mm -hmm. It's not anywhere else. Right. So do they have to put the two things together and then sort of? lock them in or i mean how do you do that because yeah. that's pretty intricate work yeah in a way i mean they what they basically do is it's kind of like getting all of these thin pieces of wood yeah they glue them all together so you have a thick piece that has alternate colors of different yeah. woods and you cut that um you know horizontally right. and this is without laser machines yeah and, I know, that's the thing, right? I mean, they, and then you're basically this. yeah channeling that in. section out and you're and you're um adding it in yeah so there's amazing it's pretty remarkable. But the Madarians are known for uh, woodworking, like even to this oh, day. When, yeah. when I went down there, there was some amazing woodworking that you see. Uh, not only the instruments, but just, I mean, like jewelry boxes and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You know, and just uh, that tradition of woodworking continues on in, in Madeira. And that's 
probably another reason why we don't see that shell in Lake Two, mm. right? Because of because a sense of identity and tradition in that yeah. culture to to in woodworking to build yeah. this thing. So, so here's a uh, historical question I want to ask you. It, it, it's the most I've ever heard Kyle talk. I know. <laughs> so I know. They're just like, whoa, what's <laughs> going on? I don't even feel like they're making sense. Cause I'm not a musician. I might just be. I'm just no, no, like super it, interested yeah. in you know the history, but. You know, the first ukulele is probably made in the 18... It's probably somewhere bef uh, between 1879 and 1884, somewhere when in there. When was the there. first guitar? Gee, the I mean, the first guitars... Uh, so the predecessor to the guitars are things like the lute, the oud, right? And these go back, I mean, centuries, right? But when, it, when the oud makes its way into Europe because of the Amores, right? They came into like 7-Eleven, around that time period uh, into Spain. Then you have all of this influence. The Spanish saw that instrument, was interested. So it goes from the oud to the lute, where you now you have some frets, but those frets were gut. You could move them and mm. tune your mm. instrument differently. Mm. Yeah. And then from that time period, you have the development of things like the Villueja, which is, uh, which is also a Spanish instrument. And then the Renaissance guitar happened. So from that time period between maybe, you know, 700 to about 1500 or so, the shape, that figure eight shape like yeah. we have on the ukulele, is, doesn't appear on any of those instruments until the Renaissance guitar. For some reason, they changed the shape. Hmm. And I don't know why, but for some reason, that figure eight shape uh -huh. shows up. And you know on the lutes and ouds, they have that bent headstock <laughs> where the tuners come down like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That seems to go away, and that Renaissance guitar just has a straight headstock, and then from there you go to the Baroque guitar, and and then you have you know more modern uh, guitars from there. But that figure eight shape comes in uh, during that time period. So the earliest known guitars, at least the word guitar, shows up around the 1500s. Oh, yeah, and so uh, way before, way before, yeah, yeah. But there's an interesting parallel because as the Renaissance guitar, that GCEA tuning on the Renaissance guitar didn't go very far because the next uh, type of guitar, the Baroque guitar, is more similar to our uh, E to E guitar minus the low E, the top E. So it doesn't have that one string, but it's moving in that direction. For some reason, they decided that the GCEA tuning was not the direction that they wanted to go with that instrument. So um, it takes on a different tuning and a different size. Uh, in the Baroque period from the Renaissance time period. Mm. Yeah. Man, we're getting so deep into the musical yeah. history of this. <laughs> so like, so sorry, I hope I'm not boring you guys. Know, no, I just, not like, people not are like, man, I should be writing this down somewhere. No, no, well, no. Well, I had a question, not historical. Yeah. But, um, so you also do custom ukuleles. Yes. Where you sell and trade or collect custom yep. ukuleles. Mm -hmm. So what would be the most expensive Ooh. ukulele mm. that you've ever seen on market or go to sale just for those collectors out there who have some cash they want to yeah burn. <laughs> yeah we well we focus pretty much on all of the handcrafted custom stuff right and I, I love that because there is a parallel with these both of them are custom instruments just different time period different technology mm. and that's why i only deal in the historical ones and and these new ones but those new instruments yeah i mean you know we've been fortunate to sell a few in the twenty thousand dollar range cool. yeah um, wow. but the most expensive ones that i've seen um are, are about 50. wow uh, 50 but it, which is nothing dollars. compared to guitars but is that a hawaiian yeah. maker or no, a mainland no. maker? it was a mainland maker yeah but it's just a really rare no. one okay so yeah. it's the rarity of it it's not what's it's not like you know they, they kind of cheat sometimes because they go oh this is the World's most expensive right. hot fudge Sunday, <laughs> right, right. but it's like laced in gold. <laughs> yeah, right, you yeah, know. Yeah. But so, so there's no like, uh, it's not the, what's made of it. It's the rarity of the yeah, instrument. Yeah. So, so that particular instrument, uh, Martin made, and Martin okay. made these instruments. Uh, there's a model. They made several models. There's a style zero, style one, two, three, and a five. And then they made them in mahogany and made them in koa, and they have different names. But anyway, the five K, which is the soprano one basically is the is the one that costs it was uh you know in the 1920s that would cost about 56 dollars but the huh. average plantation worker is making about three bucks a month right mm. so very far-fetched yeah. to purchase that uh. the one that i had seen was the 5k but it was a special order and it was um and uh and it was a tenor size so that's why that one was so expensive was it, koa too? it was all koa yeah yeah. But, you know, these to me, uh, even they, they have a, a much more important historical and yeah. cultural context role 
Um, and these, there's really, you know, how do you put a price on that? Yeah. So as far as numbers of what I've seen and so forth, that would probably be the most expensive. Huh. So anybody with $50,000 <laughs> extra, they can get a... Uh, Yikes. But, but that, that's a Martin though, right? Like yeah. I'm talking about just a... B- new, a guy who's building now. Oh, a guy who's building now. I mean, there are a couple of, I mean, there are a lot of amazing builders, but, uh, you know, a few that are at the top of that totem pole would be um, uh, um, Chuck Moore, um, uh, as well as... Chuck uh, Moore's on the Big Island, right? Yeah, he's on the Big Island. There's also uh, Eric Devine, who, you know, makes some amazing uh, instruments, guitars and ukuleles. Then you have guys like, you know, Bob Gleason, uh, Steve Grimes, who, you know, mm-hmm. who's, you know, makes Keola Beamer's guitars mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other people's instruments. So there are a lot of people um, and there are many more besides th- that grouping. Uh, but ukuleles are gaining in popularity and there's only so many people who build out of Hawaii. Yeah. So either more bi- more builders from the mainland need to move to Hawaii or <laughs> or more people in Hawaii need to take that up and, and continue that tradition and build ukuleles because wow. there's, a, there's a worldwide demand for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Sean, we've come to the point of the podcast where we ask all of our guests this <laughs> one question. If you were stranded on a desert island for the rest of eternity and you could only take three albums with you to listen to for the all time, what would those three albums be? Oh, Wow. I, I really like um, uh, Gabby Pahinui's um, Pure Gabby. Oh, no. Not that one. This Brown album. Oh. I really like that album. I probably would take something Christian with me. I like, I don't know, Hillsong, oh, Hillsong, Hillsong Live yeah, or something okay, like okay, that. Okay. And, uh, gee, the last one, I don't know. I mean, there's some songs that just, they just bring back these memories. When I lived in Japan, there's a couple of bands from Japan that I really like too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would pick one of those, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, from that time period, Mr. Children and Spitz and some of these other guys were just really good, but I don't know. I don't know. This <laughs> I don't know on the last one. Okay, I so you, you would take a Japan. I probably, yeah, I might, I might take a Japanese one. Well, what would have been funny is if you answered that question, I like um, Dead Mouse. Yeah, Radiohead, Radiohead, Kanye's last album. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, the music thing does bring back memories because you know people say that to to me all the time because they were listening to Pure Heart, you know, twenty mm-hmm. something years ago. I didn't really get it until we had the uh, Capenna reunion mm-hmm. at on High Sessions because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I hadn't heard them in a few years, yeah. right? And then they were there, and then they started playing this like. Bam! I was right back in high school. Yeah. Right. You know, like it just took me back immediately. You're just right you know? there. Yeah. So it is. It is a pretty cool, cool yeah. thing. Well, we're gonna stay on and do the Patreon after this. We're gonna say bye to our YouTube audience for now. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for uh, putting up with our our one week break. We're gonna hear about Devin's spring break. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, Patreon people. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, and I want to show my, my Martin too. Oh yeah, and we'll, we'll go through the Martin. Yeah. And I had my a little uh standoff at longs today so oh, we'll yeah. talk about that wow, on the patreon gonna be long coming today. up next see you soon